Amen. Well, good morning and thank you for joining our uh, live stream here at Crossroads Baptist Church. Uh, we hope you have your Bibles ready and we hope you are excited to dig into the Word together. Psalm 100 for our call to worship this morning. Psalm 100 is a very fitting psalm. Psalm 100 will read to open up our live stream with a call to worship. Verse 1 says the following, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Passages of scripture like these give to us a reason to worship our God more and even more so on a day like today. We read passages that say the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And I feel like they, fought, they have a little bit more meaning um, for a day like today when we come to worship our Lord in a little bit of a different setting, a little bit of a different circumstance we're in. Uh, but nonetheless, we have reason to worship our Lord. Um, let's look at a few announcements here before we look to the Word again. Um, firstly, I hope you're um, using our kids' downloadables on our website. Um, those are updated each week. Um, they're bulletins that coincide with our messages that happen each week. I put, I put those up there um, each week for you. You can just go onto our website and click on Kids Church Downloadables and click on them right there and you can just download them um, and you can be working, um, those kids can be working on those. Uh, we pay for that subscription, it's not much, but it's something that we want to um, use. So be mindful of that. Secondly, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, that way you won't miss um, any videos that we post on there. Um, our Ephesian small group is in full swing. And of course, these, um, sir, these messages are put up there as well. Uh, so be mindful of our YouTube channel. Uh, thirdly, do you need anything? Um, I say that because we have a wonderful um, church family here. And we have people who are uh, looking out for one another. And I know because so many people have offered um, to me and said, if anyone need, needs anything, let me know. So if you need anything, um, let us know, let me know. Uh, we've had many grocery orders delivered and, and vegetables delivered. So if you um, need anything done, uh, we want to uh, adhere to the social distancing uh, guidelines. But at the same time, we still want to be salt and light. So um, if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. 
we'll uh, hopefully make it happen. We've got a lot of people who are kind of standing by, um, willing to help in any way. So be mindful of that, please. Uh, fourthly, I want you to, last week uh, was Easter, we had you post a picture um, of you and your family worshiping. A little bit different this week, want to keep that same thing going for at least another week. Um, if you want to post a picture of a book you're reading, uh, maybe something that's um, encouraged you in your quarantine, if you will, or just a book that you're reading that you enjoy, something you've learned um, from it, why don't you just post a picture of that book and maybe someone else could uh, see that picture and, and look at the book and maybe uh, read that book as well. But just to keep um, a little bit of communication going, um, post a picture of your favorite book that you're reading. Now I have a, a few books on the go and I can tell you one that I won't be posting. It's a book about uh, covenant theology versus dispensationalism, okay? Now I said something that encourages you in your quarantine. This book may not necessarily do that. I haven't found it, uh, it uplifting to my soul, but it is interesting. But I probably won't be posting that. I'll probably be posting um, a different one, um, one that, uh, you know, a little bit different, I guess. But if you have any book that you're reading, let us know. We want to keep some communication going, so be mindful of that. Um, those are all of the announcements um, that I had for you this morning. Um, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. We're beginning a new study today in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians, and I'm curious as to how many times I'm going to mess up saying Thessalonians, okay? But we'll see what we can do here. Uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians is a letter from Paul to the people or the church in a place called Thessalonica. And uh, just reading through this, this um, letter this week, a lot of fitting, fitting truths are found in this little book of 1 Thessalonians. And I hope this study, as we make our way through this book, I, I hope it's encouraging to you. Anytime we look to the Word of God to be taught and to learn, um, I hope it is encouraging, and I hope it is applicable to you. And this study in 1 Thessalonians is one that I wanted to st uh, start prior um, to today, but the Lord um, saw fit to have some other things happen in between. And we've been looking at um, some things in Scripture that reveals God's character leading up to Easter, and then Easter we looked at God's character as well. Um, but we're going to begin this study in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to begin in chapter 1. We're going to look at the first chapter today and pull out some key things, um, key aspects of this book I hope you find um, encouraging. Now, a little bit of a background here. Um, Paul wrote this, um, Paul met and established this church, rather, um, in his second missionary journey. Okay, and he actually had to abruptly leave Thessalonica 
because of some persecution, but he left uh, Timothy behind, and as we see Timothy and Sylvanus here in verse 1, were kind of the, um, the leaders in this church. And Paul um, abruptly had to leave Thessalonica, but he still wanted to know about the work that was happening. So everything that he writes about in this letter, okay, he got from Timothy reporting to him. So if you remember back in Acts, Paul um, had to leave abruptly because of some persecution. He left Timothy, okay? Timothy stayed behind to be a leader in that church. And then a few days after that, Timothy then comes back and reports to Paul. And over the course of the next uh, missionary journey, um, there was some more reporting from Thessalonica back to Paul. And he's writing this based upon the reports that he's heard of them. And that brings us to the title of our message today. And that is a gospel-centered example of a church. Okay? A gospel-centered example of a church. And Paul writes elsewhere in his letter to Timothy the following words. To be an example... To the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. The word example that Paul uses to command Timothy to be to his people is the Greek word that means a mark, an impression, or a stamp. Elsewhere, it's defined as a model of behavior, as an example to be imitated, or to be avoided. Okay? Merriam-Webster's defines it as one thing that serves as a pattern to be imitated or not to be imitated. And we see the word example elsewhere in Scripture. This idea, this teaching, that we are to be a mark or an imprint or a stamp Okay? Towards others. And we often hear it in light of a good example. Okay? We want to be a good mark. We want to be a, a good impression. We want to be a good stamp. Okay? We want to be someone who others imitate, not necessarily avoid. But it goes both ways in that you're either someone who should be imitated or who shouldn't be imitated. A good example or a bad example. And scripture elsewhere tells us that we're to be examples to others. Good examples. Godly examples. And the same goes for churches. And you can read scripture and you can actually find people who were good examples and who were bad. Right? You can see people who live their lives to be good marks, good imprints, good stamps, if you will, and some who did not. For example, just thinking off the bat here, we, re we read 1 Thessalonians, and this first chapter is going to reveal to us that they were a good church. They're, they're an example of a good church. Now, not to pick on them, but you read... Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 
And from a pastoral standpoint, or even a practical standpoint, and a, and a theological standpoint, not exactly a good example of what a church should be or do based upon what they were doing. Still a church, nonetheless, because they were saints of God in Corinth. Still a church, but not something that we should imitate based upon their actions. And that goes for us today, okay? You and I are examples. And we're either good examples or we're bad examples. And, and collectively, corporately, we make an example as a church. Are we at Crossroads a, a good example of a church or, or a bad example of a church? And I think it's important that we often stop and take inventory. Ask ourselves that question. Are, am, I, am I being a good example? Am I being a bad example? And, and, and I think it's important for, for, for pastors to do that. Elders, deacons, moms, dads, everyone. I think every believer should, should often have those moments where they stop and say, what kind of example is I'm, am I being? And we're going to see here in chapter 1 a good example of a gospel-centered church. Okay? But Paul begins this letter by telling us what the Thessalonians were doing right. And any believer or church or collection of saints would do well to ask themselves often, what kind of example am I? What type of example are we as a church? And a good example of what a church is is definitely found in this passage. Now let's just read to verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see here in this passage, verse 1 is very simply a, a greeting. Paul does that often in his letters. And he moves into verse 2 saying that he is thankful for this church. Paul was thankful for the work in Thessalonica. Now if you remember back to Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul, from unregenerate to regenerate, from unbeliever to believer on the road to Damascus, he was called by God to be a minister of the gospel primarily to the Gentiles. And Paul's three missionary journeys, which encompassed a lot of gospel sharing, succeeded in that. Paul's call was fulfilled. And that's why he's so thankful here. Because what God had called him to do was in fact happening. Now that's not, that's not an isolated case. That's the same for you and I today. If God calls you to do something and God brings it to pass, we should be thankful of that, right? And that's what Paul shows here. 
In verse 2, he says, I'm, I'm thankful for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he says in verse 3, where we're going to park for a little bit. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And there's a little bit of a, a threefold nature to this example that the Thessalonians were leaving. Okay? We talked a little bit about the fact that we are all examples in some way. And the Thessalonians were wonderful examples of, of, of a gospel-centered church. And that's seen here in this threefold nature of their conduct. In verse 3, their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Well, let's look at the first one here, work of faith. The word work is defined as action or task. That which one normally does. The word faith here means to believe or believer. So when you pair this together, you see that one's belief is paired with one's work or action or task. They were working, they were actively serving in accordance with their belief. And this is a wonderful thing to point out because active behavior should always be based on your belief. Listen to what Calvin says in regards to this phrase, work of faith. I understand as meaning the effect of it. This effect, however, may be explained in two ways, passively or actively. Either as a meaning that faith was in itself a signal token of the power and efficacy of the Holy Spirit, inasmuch as he wrought powerfully in the exciting of it, or as meaning that afterwards produced outwardly its fruits. I reckon the effect to be in the root of faith rather than its fruits. A rare energy of faith has been shown itself powerfully in you. In other words, this was active belief. What they normally did was based upon their belief and their faith. It was active belief because it was active faith. The Thessalonians acted on their belief. Their faith was not merely something they spoke, but something they lived out. It was evident to all by their actions that the Thessalonian church believed. Now, perhaps a passage is coming to mind already. James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. Faith must 
produce action. And if it does not, then it is not faith at all. And these saints in Thessalonica served, worked, acted upon their belief. What an example of what a true church, gospel-centered church, should be. And secondly, Paul says, labor of love. Now let's define some terms here. The word labor here means to toil or hard work. It also means to engage in hard work, implying okay, difficulties and trouble. And it's the same Greek word used in Luke 5.5 5 when Christ tells the soon-to-be-called disciples to cast their nets on the other side, and they say, we worked hard all night. It begs difficulties and, and trials and trouble, hard work. Pair that with love, and you see a loving concern, goodwill, to regard with high affection. And these Thessalonians worked out in action, worked hard for their concern for others. They not merely loved, but they worked out their love. Now you can almost see how labor of love and work of faith are kind of the same thing, but they're not. Okay? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we can not have love. And we can do so many good things, but if we have not love, we what? We gain nothing. The word gain there means to benefit. So if we do everything for God and have not love, we benefit absolutely nothing. Do you see a, a thought here? A work of faith actively serving in your belief, and then a labor of love engaging in work based upon the affection that you have, the concern that you have of someone else. And you can almost flip these phrases here. They had faith, therefore they what? They worked. They had love, therefore they what? They labored based upon that love. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 was not exempt from these Thessalonians. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says this. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live, what? For themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, the gospel, okay, is what causes us to love and work upon that love because the, the love of Christ 
controls us. That word control there means to, to hold together. In verse 14, the love of Christ holds us together because we have concluded this. The following phrase is the gospel. One has died for all, therefore all have died, speaking of the saints. And he died for all that those who might live, speaking of the saints, might no longer live for whom? The saints themselves, but for him who there, for their sake died and was raised. In other words, when we believe the gospel, we see the love of God applied to us, and then we go and we love. Because the gospel is not about me. And the gospel is not about me gaining more for myself, but it's that, so I am saved so that I can share with others the love of Christ. And that is what a labor of love is. Because Christ-like love, gospel-centered love, is a concern for others. And it is exactly what these Thessalonians were living out. A concern for others. Why? Because the love of Christ controlled or compelled them to do such a thing. And not only does that love cause us to live selflessly, as stated in Philippians 2, but as stated in Colossians 2, 2, it's also the thing that knits us together. It's also what we have in common. And in a time like this, okay, when we can't necessarily live out the love of Christ as much as we might want to in relation to our programs and our teaching, we are still knit together in love because of Christ. And these Thessalonians, what an example they were. They worked out their faith. They worked out their love. And thirdly, we see their steadfastness of hope. The word steadfastness here means patience. The word hope, we looked at a few weeks ago, is, is expectation. To look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. And you can kind of flip these phrases here. They were steadfast, okay? They were patient because of what? Their hope. Their hope caused their steadfastness. They labored because of their love. They worked because of their faith. What a commendation here Paul makes to these Thessalonians. They looked forward with confidence that which is good and beneficial. Let's listen to Calvin in relation to these three, this threefold nature to this Thessalonian church. From this we may gather a brief definition of true Christianity. That it is a faith that is lively and full of vigor so that it spares no labor when assistance is to be given to one's neighbors. But on the contrary, all the pious employ themselves diligently 
in offices of love and lay out their efforts in them, so that, intent upon the hope of the manifestation of Christ, they despise everything else, and armed with patience they rise superior to the weariness of length of time, as well as to the temptations of the world. Listen to what Edmund Hebert says. Faith, love, hope are here named in their logical order. Faith rests on the past. Love works in the present. Hope looks to the future. Read that again. Faith rests in the past. Love works in the present. And hope looks to the future. Faith looks back to the Christ on the cross. Love looks up to the Christ at the Father's right hand, and hope looks forward to the coming of Christ for his own. Here, the emphasis is on the qualities affixed to these virtues. Thus, work that flows from faith, labor that is motivated by love, and steadfastness that is grounded in hope. Paul's stress is not on these virtues alone but rather on what qualities they produce. To say you have faith, hope, and love is a wonderful thing, and we see in 1 Corinthians 13 the importance of having that. No question. But if that's all we have, if our faith, hope, and love doesn't lead us to do anything different than the world, we don't have true biblical faith, hope, or love. Faith produces works, love produces labor, and hope produces steadfastness. And listen to what Paul says in capping off this verse, in verse 3. In our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way to obtain these wonderful virtues if we separate them from the person of Jesus Christ. The best way to obtain this work of faith and labor of love and, and steadfastness of hope is to allow your mind and heart to be Christ-centered. And if Christ is not preeminent in your life, these three virtues, along with their actions, will be non-existent. Listen to Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the head, that in everything he might be preeminent. That in everything he might be supreme. He might be centered. And that is the key to allowing these three virtues to reign to the point where they cause us to act. Christ-centeredness always produces godliness. Christ wants preeminence in your life. And we look at this 
passage and we say, I, I want to be an example, such as this, this church was, of, of working out my faith, of, of showing my labor of love, and being patient in hope. Well, I want to encourage you to begin by studying more of Christ. To see what he's done. One will not become active in faith, working out love, or patient in hope by merely wishing these things happen. These are results of Christ's work in one's heart. One does not become godly by neglecting God's word, neglecting God's conviction, and neglecting God's people. And you want to hear from God? You want to learn more about God? You want to be more godly? Look to the pages of Scripture. I heard a quote this week. If you want to hear from God, read the Bible. If you want to hear from God audibly, read your Bible out loud. And I think that's a fitting quote for what we're looking at here. All of these godly traits don't just happen. They are found within the person of Jesus Christ. And the Thessalonians understood Christ-centeredness. They understood living and being a good example. Why? Because, look at verse 4 as we move along here. Verse 4, Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He has chosen you. The Greek word chose here means to select or to choose. To select or to choose. And it's also used in Ephesians 1 when Paul says to the Ephesians that they were chosen before the foundations of the world. Eclectos. Chosen or selected. And Paul knew of the example of the Thessalonians. And he knew, for he says in verse 4a, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. It was evident. Paul knew the Thessalonians were fulfilling, okay, mind you, so appropriately, the call of God in their lives because they were chosen by him to do so. And when God chooses, when he foreordains something, make no mistake, it comes to pass. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. And when he chooses to redeem, and when he chooses to choose, make no mistake, it happens. And it was apparent in this church. Why? Because, verse 5 says, our gospel came to you in a threefold manner, not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. This threefold manner in which the gospel not only was presented, but how it reverberated back to Paul. Paul often shared the gospel, but when it reached, it often came back towards him in the form of power, 
Holy Spirit in full conviction within the people who heard it. This threefold manner of this Thessalonian church, of their reception of the gospel, okay, proved to Paul that it was real, genuine faith, and it was foreordained by God. And that's why he says, we know, brothers, that he has chosen you because this gospel came to you in power, Holy Spirit, in full conviction. That phrase, full conviction, is all assurance. All assurance. To be completely certain of something. It was not just surface belief. And, and think of it in light of this threefold manner in verse 3 that they showed their faith. How can surface faith work out their faith? Have a labor of love or be patient in hope? Surface faith doesn't do that. Real, God-given faith, God-given belief, through a soul being made spiritually alive, does what God wants to do. Ephesians 2 speaks about being made spiritually alive. And at the end of that section, it says, for good works. In other words, we're not made spiritually alive as the church of God so that we can just sit and do absolutely nothing. But instead, we're saved, made spiritually alive, given full assurance so that we can do exactly what these saved, fully assured saints of God in Thessalonica did and worked out their faith, showed their love, were patient in hope, and in doing so, proved that they were, in fact, the church of God. May surface belief be the furthest thing from us. And these Thessalonians had actions that were a result, a result of absolute, total transformation of their lost spiritual state. An absolute shift from unbelief to belief. Now, listen to how interesting the latter part of this passage is in relation to being an example in the charge in Matthew chapter 28 that we're to be disciple makers. Okay? Listen to this. You know, 5b, what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. In other words, you know the example we were to you. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul, Timothy, Silvanus were examples, good examples, mind you, spirit-filled examples to the Thessalonians. And in doing so, they became imitators of the good examples. And look at verse 8. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, 
But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. You see the you see how that fits with discipleship? Being a disciple is being an example. Being an example is being a disciple. And in being a good example, you fit into this model here. In being a discipler, you fit into this model. In working out your faith, in showing love in your labor, and being patient in hope are marks of being a good example. And that should do what it did to the Thessalonians in relation to Paul. Paul was a good example. Therefore, the Thessalonians became a good example. And then, what happened to those around the Thessalonians? In Macedonia, in Achaia, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. And as if that's not enough, Paul says, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. That's not hyperbole or an exaggeration. Their faith, their example of who they were in Christ, their Christ-centered worship, their faith and belief, their love, their steadfastness in hope was not something that they built walls around. They couldn't because it spread and it went forth everywhere. What a beautiful thing to be said of a church. Now this is a prime example of when we fulfill Matthew chapter 28 and, and we make disciples. We example what we should and we make another example and then that example goes and makes another example and that's discipleship. We're making imprints, marks on people. We're stamping good things. And what does that look like? Well, living Christ-like, living with Christ's likeness. What an example of what a church should do, should strive to be, is a church like the Thessalonians. And I wanted to say in closing, may this pandemic not interrupt your faith. May it not derail your love. May it cause you to be steadfast in hope because of Christ's salvific work and the promise that we find in Scripture. Now that being said, I wanted to speak in, in relation to Crossroads Baptist Church, okay? And I want to encourage you and say, you are doing a wonderful job at this. Groceries are getting delivered. People are being prayed for. Others are checking in on each other daily. And I wanted to say well done in regards to that. Keep up the good work. Keep up the example of faith and love and hope that you're showing to one another. 
and to others. Be encouraged because I think that Crossroads Baptist Church is doing what we should do and what we can do. And I wanted to encourage you this morning and say, good job. You're doing a wonderful job at that. And that's not to say that we can kind of kick it in neutral now by any means. Continue to strive for that. Continue to try to do better in those regards. To work out faith and love. And the Lord will bless you for it. I want to close with a benediction. Just reading Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord bless you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and blessings on the rest of your Lord's day.